can you tell? You can ask Polito. My little, oh, there it goes. It came on. I can hear it now. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you guys all here today. Hello. Uh, so before we get into the sermon, a couple things. With the Gospel Community Church is giving back, like, I'm so excited for this project that we're doing, and thank you guys already for your generosity. Um, like, we've got one family that we're going to be able to provide Christmas for, and hopefully through the giving we'll be able to provide more of that. And it's something that God just laid on my heart and brought it to the board and brought it in front of you guys, and, he, like, it's going to be awesome, and I'm excited to see what the Lord does through it. Um, the other thing, did anybody watch the Mike Tyson fight last night? No, nobody? Man, it was so much fun to watch me and uh, Chris and Pastor Tony and Jen. We all got together, and we watched the fight last night, and it was just fun to watch. It was like nostalgia. I was telling my mom and dad uh, a few weeks ago, I remember uh, being at my aunt's house watching when Mike Tyson bit off of Vander Holyfield's ear when I was 11 years old. And I just remember that happening in the big hoopla. I wasn't so much into it. I just remember everybody kind of freaking out about it. But I remember being there and watching it. So it was it was fun to hang out with those guys and, and watch the fight. So. <laughs> oh, we only got five minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> so who won? It was a draw. They called it a draw, right? I hope I don't spoil for any of you guys. But it, yeah, sorry, Facebook world, if you haven't watched it. Um, but yeah. So moving on from that, uh, I just I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I am a bit of a dreamer. My wife stepped out. I didn't say, can she testify to that, or can I get an amen to that? But I am a bit of a dreamer. My mom knows. My dad knows I'm a bit of a dreamer. I like to come up with these grand ideas. I think Donnie and Jen over the last uh, couple years have figured out what a dreamer I am, coming up with these big grand ideas all the time. And oftentimes they kind of, the things that I come up with are really not that practical. Like, I get these big grand ideas, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, but there's really, like, no thought or, or much effort into that dreaming that I have. Babe, can you testify that I'm a dreamer? <laughs> See it here? Yes? So can you testify to everybody that I am a bit of a dreamer? <laughs> yeah, Jess is the realist. I'm a bit of a dreamer. So I, I'll, I'll tell you, recently... We, we started taking up this kitchen project. We're, we're, we took all the cabinets off, and uh, we're repainting our cabinets. But what it started out as, um, well, let me backtrack a little bit more. So I recently started a new job. And when I left my, my other job, I had a company truck that was for use at my disposal. And not my disposal. That sounds like I didn't take care of it and didn't care about it. But I was able to use at will. Let's say it that way. And when I switched jobs, I moved to a different company. That vehicle, I, I lost the vehicle. So we're down to one vehicle. So the logical, practical thing to do is to save up for us to buy a second vehicle. Now, I, I, I have a pretty good, had a pretty good argument and did a pretty good job convincing my wife that uh, we don't need a second vehicle. Right? I'm working from home, mostly. It's been working out pretty well for us to have one vehicle. And... and I convinced her at one point that we'll be all right with one vehicle. And I had this big grand idea. Okay, since we moved into our house, we've wanted to open up our kitchen and our living room area into one big like room. So it's it's taking out a load-bearing wall, putting a beam up. It's like a major remodel in our house. So I had the grand idea that like let's 
let's do this instead of save up for a second vehicle. Like, let's, let's get this remodel done. We've been wanting to do it for 10 years, and I convinced her that that's what we should do. And she went along with it because she's a good sport. And a few days, she finally came by to take, you know, came to me and was like, you know, practically, we should save for a second vehicle. And I was like, yes, you are absolutely right. We should. <laughs> and so I always have these big grand ideas that aren't very practical. And the reason I share this illustration with you is because this is what the Apostle Paul is doing in the church. He's been, done a pretty good job at convincing the church that we are justified by grace through faith. And now he's going to explain what that looks like practically. What are the practical benefits of being saved and justified by grace through faith? That it's more than an interesting idea, but there are practical benefits to being saved or justified and saved by grace through faith. So we're going to read Romans 5.1. If you grab your Bible, if you look up on this screen, if you don't have a Bible, because this one don't want to cooperate today, or the last like four Sundays. So anyways, uh, we're going to read, I'm in Acts, not in Romans. There we go. We're going to read Romans 5.1 through 11. All right. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your outpouring of grace. I pray today, God, that you would push me to the side, that you would fill me up with your Holy Spirit, God, and that you would speak in and through me, God, that this is your word, Lord. It's not my ideas or my thoughts, Lord, but it's your word that is to be shared, God. I pray that, that, that we have ears to hear what you have to say and hearts soften to your word. We would be transformed and moved by your word, Lord. And I say these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's start talking about some of these practical benefits. And let's, let me ask you guys this question. How many of you have wanted peace this year? A lot of hands raised. It's been a wild year. 
right? He is. Yeah. <laughs> we laugh. Yeah. It has been a wild year. You guys remember back in March when we had 14 days to flatten the curve? Do you remember that? Do you remember that? You remember that, don't you? We had 14 days to flatten the curve, and there was like this hope that there would be some peace that came about in our lives after that was done. All the anxiety and stress would go away after that 14 days. And then there were riots, and there was uh, all this stuff going on over the summer, and we thought, man, when summer gets here, like this COVID, it'll be gone. We'll be able to do our thing. We'll be able to go back to our normal lives. We had a, we had a cruise that my wife actually won that we was going to go on. Uh, it was a Toby Mac cruise. And we, in March, we were like, oh, this will all pass over. We'll be able to go by on our cruise in June. And, and here we are. Like, we didn't get to go on our cruise. The corona's still here. I don't know if you guys, like, see that. But, yeah, <laughs> we, we were supposed to go on this cruise, and it was canceled. And then it was like, th- maybe you've had this thought of, like, well, hopefully when the election's over, like, all this crap will just go away. We'll have some, like, peace. All this anxiety will go away. Then the election came, and it's still chaos and craziness. And then we think, oh, man, I just want 2020 to be over. Like, there are literally people that think that, like, when 2020, yeah, like, things, things are going to go away. It's just going to get all hunky-dory and, and rainbows and butterflies and unicorns, and, and it's going to be awesome. And if you're one of those people that have been looking for peace in, like, each of those little steps that we keep talking about, and you've been lied to. The enemy has lied to you, getting you to think that there is peace found in this world. But here, it starts off in verse 1 of this chapter that we have been justified by faith. Faith in the work of Jesus and what Jesus has done. It's not in what the world offers and what the world says peace is, but what Jesus has done. The price is paid in full by the work of Jesus on the cross. And this peace that he talks about, this is, I have it in my notes, the first practical benefit, but I am not one of them people that's like, here's eight practical benefits for your life for placing it in Jesus. There are numerous practical benefits, so these are just a few of mine, but this is the first practical benefit in my sermon of being saved and justified by grace of grace, that we have peace with God. We are not enemies to God. We are not enemies with God. We have peace with God. Isn't that good news? move on to verse 2. I'm going to read verse 1 over. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So I'm hammering out one to two practical benefits real quick. First one I I said was uh, peace the next one, <laughs> smelling the flowers. Uh, we have access through faith into grace to stand in grace, to stand in something that we don't deserve, but it was given to us. God gives his favor. 
And I think we're going to touch on this a little bit next week because it's, it, it, it kind of goes right in line. But standing in his grace isn't something we're born into. We were born into the first Adam. And by placing our faith in Jesus and the work on the cross, we were brought into his grace to stand in his grace. It's something I couldn't earn, and it's something I don't deserve, yet he gives it away. And I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this and trying to figure out where to go with my sermon this week, I thought of Paul's conversion. Like this, you know, he wrote this book. We're talking about Paul. We're talking about the church. I thought about Paul's conversion in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul is on the road to Damascus, he's doing everything he can to kill Christians, to stop the way, not the way from the Mandalorians. Any geeks out there? No? Nothing? Oh, my, my wife. Anyways, you guys need to watch Mandalorian. Uh, so... <laughs> He's doing everything that he can to stop the spread of the way. <laughs> and when he's on that road to Damascus, this blinding light comes and Paul, Saul falls down. The artist formerly known as Saul, Paul, he falls down and Jesus says, Saul, Saul. And, and one commentary that I read, when Jesus repeats something like that, says it two times, it's something that he's saying with emotion. You know, truly, truly, Jesus says often. And he says here, Saul, Saul. And I take it as this moment of like, like Jesus is heartbroken by what Saul's doing to him. And he asks him, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you persecuting these Christians? Why are you persecuting the church? He says, why are you persecuting me? And he's confronted with the reality of what he is doing. He's not doing the Lord's work. He's not doing God's work. He's confronted with the reality of what he is really doing. Paul thought, that by viciously attacking Christians, he was in the right. But he was persecuting Jesus, and he was faced with that reality. And his response here, it was intriguing to me when, when, I, when I, you know, sat and meditated on this. Rather than running away or acting in fear, he asked him, Who are you, Lord? Are you, Lord? He recognizes that this is this is something, someone out of this world. Who are you, Lord? Acting in faith, Paul responds and has access to God's grace, where he firmly stood the rest of his life. Who are you, Lord? Who he wanted to know who was speaking to him. And I think that it's kind of side note. Like that's a, such a like when we are going through hardships, when when Jesus comes and confronts us with our sin. Is our response usually, man, Jesus, who are you? I want to know you more. But acting in faith, Paul responds and he has access. And he stands in God's grace and he stood there the rest of his life. Let us stand in his grace. Not as convicted criminals, but as saints of God. We stand as a saint pressing forward, serving our Jesus, upheld by his power, the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Philippians 1, 6 says this, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. Stand in confidence. You know, I kind of cheated this week. I chose my songs to go with my sermon, so I really knew like what song I was going to sing. So, uh, stand in confidence. Our access, our standing in grace is a permanent possession and a permanent position that we have now. And this leads us to verse 3, where we rejoice. Wait, we're not in verse 3 yet, are we? Yes, if I head there, there we are. We're not going there yet. But this leads us to rejoice. We rejoice, and this is, like, to me, is a logical response to having peace with God. And a logical response to being able to stand in His grace. Without that conviction, without that reality of what our sin is, and and turning and trusting God and being justified by grace through faith, we have no peace, we have no standing in grace with God, and there's really no reason for rejoicing. We hope in, in... Worldly things, not in what he provides. And in this, where is it? We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The Greek word there for hope means to anticipate with pleasure. We rejoice in that pleasurable anticipation. I love Love where Paul goes here, verse 3. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. We don't just rejoice in the good. Right? How many of you guys are awesome at rejoicing in your suffering? I'm not. I'm a miserable sufferer. But we rejoice in our suffering. Uh, And I, I got this quote by Charles Spurgeon. It says, a Christian man should be willing to be tried. He should be pleased to let his religion be put to the test. There, says he, hammer away if you like. You want to be carried to heaven on a feathered bed. Tribulation and suffering is part of the Christian life. And suffering doesn't go away like when you lay your head on your pillow at night and God comes and sprinkles Holy Spirit dust on you and there's no more suffering, there's no more tribulations like Does anybody want to testify to that? Anybody? Right? (laughs) This happens. Suffering's always going to be there. Paul lived a life of suffering. He knew. He knew what was. He knew that he was going to be suffering. And and this this suffering that we go through, this tribulation that we go through, it produces endurance. Right? This is a marathon. This isn't a sprint. This isn't, you know, I talked about that boxing match. Most boxing matches are like 12 rounds, three minutes to four minutes long. And, and that's a long time to be in the ring. You know, that boxing match last night was eight two-minute rounds. It wasn't as long as a regular boxing match. But, you know, this race rerun is, it, rerun is like that. It's a more of a marathon than a sprint. Hebrews 12.1 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. We must run it, and it's going to take effort and commitment. Anybody ever ran cross-country? 
any cross country runners? Mike, you're the only other. I, I ran cross country or distance runners. Anybody do 5Ks or anything like that? You done? Yeah. Uh, does it take effort and commitment to run a 5K? <laughs> it takes effort and commitment. And, and that's, you know, it takes effort and commitment to have this relationship with Jesus. And so let's continue on. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And we start to see this chain of growth and maturity as followers of Jesus. And when I think about endurance produces character, or, you know, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and, and it made me think about what kind of kids I'm raising. Rome, are you paying attention? Are you listening to me? <laughs> made me think about what kind of kids I'm raising. Is it my job as dad to make sure that my kids are always happy? <laughs> A kid said yes, parents said no. <laughs> it is not my job as dad to make sure that my kids are happy all the time. You know, I, I thought about, like, I could put them on, uh, you know, get them into the best baseball team or the best dance group or, or whatever it might be, and they'll be happy and they'll be the best at everything. But what happens when they grow up and somebody comes their way and disappoints them? Or somebody makes them feel bad or somebody makes them sad. And they have no suffering in life. Like, they won't figure out how to deal with those emotions. And what kind of character will they have when they grow up? God doesn't just want us to be happy. He wants us to have a real joy in life. But he's not there to just keep us happy and give us rainbows and sunshine and butterflies and all that good stuff. The suffering produces endurance, and the endurance produces character. And I love this last, character produces hope. Another practical benefit, we have hope. I already talked about, it would be so much easier for God to just like sprinkle the Holy Spirit dust and give us endurance and character and hope. And, and, but that's not what God has planned. Hope doesn't disappoint. He will complete a work in us. And last year this time, I was really dealing with some like major depression stuff. If you were here, you might remember that. But I was really going through some deep stuff. And I remember, and, and maybe this is having suicidal thoughts, but I don't know. Uh, but I remember reading stories. It was like, it felt like every other day there was a story about a pastor committing suicide. And I remember seeing those articles or, or reading those things and thinking, I could see why he did that. I didn't plan it out or how I was going to do it, but I remember thinking, I could see why. And, and I was just, I felt hopeless. And that suffering that I had, that I was going through, and this is for me, I can't, if you suffer with depression, like, I'm sorry, I, I, I feel for you, do, like, do whatever you need to do, like, I'm here to talk about it, I'm not a, a therapist, but man, I will pray with you. I, I will point you in the right direction. But in that moment for me, I felt hopeless. And now when I have those days, when I wake up, because it does happen, I wake up and it's just like, ugh, the sun is shining. And it just feels terrible. 
But I now, I, like, that produced a hope in me that I know, like, when I have those days or weeks or, or, you know, whatever it might be, that it won't last for me. And again, that's just for me. I can't speak to, you know, what you're going through, but I know for me that they're not going to last. And we move on in these verses here. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He's talking about that little sprinkling. God's love isn't sprinkled out. I thought of the, like, when I grew up going to the Catholic Church, and the priest comes walking in, he's got his little sprinkler thing, and he's walking down the aisle, spraying everybody with water in the face with the holy water. Somebody's ringing the bell and waving the incense around, all that, whatever. But uh, God's, God's love isn't like that little, call that, I want to call it a wand, but that they sprinkle the water out. God's love is poured out. It is poured out. Like, I imagine if I had a hose out here and I hooked it up, the illustration I had in my mind was like just blasting you guys all with water like the whole time. <laughs> That's like, it is poured out. Even more so than like what I could do to you. It's this bucket after bucket after bucket that God's love is being poured out. And, and apart from the Holy Spirit, we don't see or feel that pouring out. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump ahead a little bit to, to Romans 8, 9. It says, you, who, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. We have the Spirit of Christ. The Romans 8, 5, just before that, those who live according to the flesh set their mind on things of the flesh, but those who living, uh, live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. We have that Holy Spirit. And kind of this first paragraph of, we're feeling good, okay, checking the time. This, this first paragraph of one through five, on one hand, we show how we are complete in Christ. And on the other hand, we are going, still growing in Christ. And we keep this in mind, these two being in mind, or, or growing and being complete in Christ, we keep this in mind as we face temptations and troubles and troubles, troubles and suffering and problems in everyday life, and we would learn to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit made available through Jesus. Verse 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God came at exactly the right time, right? That's what Paul's saying. He came at exactly the right time. In our weakest moment, no strength, ungodly sinners. And it's as, it's, it's as if Paul heard the very words of Jesus as he speaks through the Spirit when Jesus said, For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. If you remember, Paul spent the first two and a half chapters. He wasn't writing chapters. He was just writing. He spent like the first part of this letter addressing that. Showing that we are those weak and ungodly people. And that Jesus died 
for us. The Greek word for for here means in behalf of that propitiation. He died in my place. Before I even turned to him, he died in my place. Verse 7, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. God's love is beyond the best love among humans. Like, I might die for the right kind of person, you know. There might be somebody worthy, like my kids, I might lay down my life for them. But Jesus did it for us, the lowly sinner, the unrighteous, when he didn't have to. And now we go from ruin to rescue. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. We were put to death, or we were put to ruin in the first Adam, and we deserved God's wrath, but we have been rescued by Jesus. And I read this in one of my commentaries, and it says the demonstration of God's love isn't on display so much in that that Jesus died, but the display of his love is seen in whom Jesus died for, the undeserving sinner that rebelled against him. Verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And he died for us. We were his transgressors. Again, looking back to Paul on the road to Damascus, an enemy of Jesus, why are you persecuting me? We have reconciliation with God. Another practical benefit. God is forever done dealing with the believer on the basis of his wrath. He will allow us to go through things and go through tribulation and suffering as a result of our own sin and flesh, but he will not punish and make us pay for our sins because the price has already been paid. God will bring loving correction and guidance. And to sum this all up, I feel that the the point is emphasized here. What matters is what we have through Jesus. Amen? What we have through our own works doesn't matter. It can't help us. It can't save me. It can't save you. It won't save you. It's all through Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the work that you are doing in and through each of us in this church right now, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move, God, and people would see their need for Jesus and see the ugliness of their sin and that they would cling on to you, God. That we would see that we have been blinded, that we've been lied to, God, that our flesh is ugly, that our sin is terrible, and that we need a Savior. We have 
been saved by grace through faith in the work done on the cross, that you came, you lived, you died, and you rose again, conquering sin, Satan, and death. Thank you, Jesus. We say these things in your name. Amen.